No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see what turn of events occurs when the king Ahasuerus and Haman attend the banquet Esther prepares for them. It's an amazing story of God working behind the scenes to curse those who curse his people. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Esther chapter 6 on Simply the Bible. The tables were turning. Haman had succeeded in getting King Ahasuerus to sign a decree to exterminate all the Jews in the Persian Empire. But when the king couldn't sleep, he had the royal chronicles read to him and was told that Mordecai the Jew had stopped an assassination attempt against him. So he honored Mordecai by dressing him in the royal robe, putting him on the king's horse, and having Haman go before him and proclaim to the entire city, This is what is done to the man whom the king delights to honor. We continue today in Esther chapter 6, verse 12. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. But Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, His wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Now, Mordecai had just been honored by the king, but what did he do? Did he let it go to his head? No, he simply went back to his position, sitting at the king's gate, giving judgment with the other elders of the land, as he had always done. Proverbs 27.21 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Mordecai passed the test, proving that he was a man of character. Haman, on the other hand, hurried to his home, humiliated with his head covered for shame. His exalted reputation as being the king's prime minister and the one whom the king delighted to honor had just been dashed. He was humbled before Mordecai the Jew, the one whom he sought to murder and whose people he sought to exterminate. What could this possibly mean? Once again, Haman went home, told his wife and friends everything. Now, earlier he had boasted about all his riches and fame and that he alone was invited to the queen's banquets. But now he shared with them his shame. Earlier they told him to build the gallows to hang or impale Mordecai. But now they said, since Mordecai is a Jew, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall. In other words, you are doomed, dude. (laughs) So much for relying on their counsel. Now, while they were still talking, the king's servants hastened to take Haman away so that he wouldn't be late for the queen's banquet. Little did he know this would be his last meal. Chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, 
What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom. It shall be done. This was now the third time the king asked Esther about her request. At the first banquet, Esther wouldn't tell him. Now, was this part of her plan, or was she afraid to implicate Haman, knowing that she was putting her own life on the line to admit that she was a Jew? We don't know. But the king was prepared to be very generous to her, and the timing was right for her to drop the bomb. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. Now I am convinced that at this point neither the king nor Haman knew that Esther was Jewish. She had kept her identity from the king a secret because Mordecai had told her to do so. Therefore, Esther's words were shocking to the king. Now what sort of monster would destroy the queen and her people? So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he? And where is he? Who would dare presume? in his heart to do such a thing. And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. Imagine the intense drama of that moment. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life. For he saw what evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I am in my house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Haman, when he hears what Esther says, is terrified. He had no idea that Esther was Jewish. He wanted to kill Mordecai and the Jews and had done everything in his power to take revenge for Mordecai's refusal to bow before him. But now he realizes that he has put the queen on the chopping block along with Mordecai. And Haman knows how short-tempered the king is and how destructive his wrath is. Meanwhile, King Ahasuerus rises in wrath. This is a blow to his masculine pride because he has trusted Haman. He had even agreed to issue the decree to annihilate the Jews without looking more carefully into the matter. So he is partially responsible for the death warrant of his beloved wife and her people. But then he is also furious as a husband because someone has dared to lift up his hand against his wife. He must remove himself from the situation to cool down, to gather his thoughts and figure out what he's going to do. Now, when the king leaves for the palace garden, Haman sees this as his opportunity to plead for mercy before Esther. Perhaps if she only knows that he didn't know she was Jewish, he falls at her feet to beg for his life. But Esther cannot betray Mordecai and her own people, and this Haman is responsible for their impending annihilation. 
So when the king returns, he sees Haman sprawled out on the couch where Esther lies. Now keep in mind, they would recline when they ate their meals. The king assumes that Haman is molesting his wife. The guards are standing nearby because as soon as the king utters those words, they cover Haman's face, indicating his impending doom. Now, Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Now, how does Harbona the king's eunuch, know that Haman built the gallows to execute Mordecai. Obviously, Haman had been talking, or shall we say, boasting about what he had done. And when Harbona saw that Mordecai had saved the king from an assassination plot and that the king honored him for it, it was not difficult to see that Haman was the rat in the king's court. Therefore, Harbona speaks up. Look! Haman built the gallows 70 feet high to hang Mordecai, the one who spoke up to save the king. That is all the king needs to hear to make his verdict clear. Hang him on it. And that was the end of wicked Haman. Now, there are so many amazing takeaways to this story. We see God on every page, though he's not mentioned, yet he's working providentially behind the scenes. There is one lesson I would like to point out today, and that is the law of sowing and reaping. It is a law that no one escapes, and it works either negatively, as with Haman, or positively, as with Mordecai. This spiritual law is stated clearly in Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Everyone is sowing either to the flesh to satisfy the bodily appetites or to the Spirit, that is, to please God by obeying His commandments. God keeps the score, and He is not mocked. He doesn't miss anything. If we sow to the flesh, we will reap corruption and ultimately death. But if we sow to the Spirit, then we will reap eternal life, peace, and joy. This spiritual law applies to everybody. No one is exempt. So consider the evil that Haman sowed. He wanted to be honored so much that when Mordecai refused to bow down to him, he hated Mordecai and determined not only to kill Mordecai, but also his people, the Jews. Now the honor he wanted for himself, went to Mordecai and the gallows he built to hang Mordecai were used to hang him. Next, consider the good that Mordecai sowed. He sought to preserve the welfare of the king. When he heard of an assassination plot, he reported it. He served faithfully at the king's gate for several years before he was honored for his active loyalty. And when the time came, he was honored by the king before the entire city and before Haman, the one who plotted his murder and the destruction of his people. As David said in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
Now Mordecai was lifted up in honor while Haman was lifted up in horror. And there is a third reaping and sowing going on here. The visitation of God's curse upon any person or nation that would curse his people Israel. God's eternal promise to Abraham is still in effect. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Whether it is Pharaoh in Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, Haman in Persia, Hitler in Germany or Iran launching missiles into Israeli marketplaces, the enemy of the Jews is the enemy of God and will not succeed. Does that mean that Israel always does the right thing? No, but Israel is God's son and he will deal with him as he sees fit. Therefore, the big question for each of us is, what are we sowing to? Are we sowing to please our flesh or are we sowing to please the Spirit? Are we treating others the way we want to be treated? Are we judging others the way we want to be judged? Are we doing to others what we want done to us? Are we encouraging them as we want to be encouraged? Whatever a person sows, that he will also reap. Whatever you do to others will come back on your own head. It's just a matter of time. This is the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. If we sow to the wind, we will reap the whirlwind. But if we sow to the Spirit, then we will ultimately reap honor, joy, peace, and eternal life. So to what will we sow today? You've been listening to Simply the Bible. The Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our iTunes podcast. If you have questions or comments, please call or text us at 208 319 4860. That's 208 319 4860. Tomorrow we'll see where Queen Esther entreats the king to revoke the decree he issued to destroy the Jews. But the king has another plan. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Esther on Simply the Bible.